For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants, and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 705, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Hey, Josh. Hello. So tonight on the show, we're talking travel. Well, you know, spring is in the air. People are looking to escape, maybe, uh, after they do their taxes and get all their refunds back from the lovely government, uh, old and new. Ah, yes, I should get on that and do my taxes. Uh, <laughs> joining us in studio from Vision Travel Solutions is Joel Ostrov, our profile this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Joel, welcome to CJD. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. So the easiest question of the night, uh, tell us about yourself and about Vision Travel Solutions. Well, today I'm proud to say that Vision Travel Solutions is the largest Canadian-owned travel management company. And we compete in a market that is globally uh, dominated by three major players, uh, American Express, Carlson Wagon Lee, and the Hogg Robinson Group. All foreign-owned, all controlled outside of Canada. So we're really pleased that we have a Canadian solution for corporate Canada. Now, what is when you say solution, travel solutions, what exactly does that mean? I mean, people, it's, you're, you're a travel agency by most people's definition, but what does that mean? What kind of services do you offer? Well, today, in the world of corporate travel, what you're really talking about is a fully managed program where you're going into a company and managing their day-to-day -day travel from A to Z, in including their online booking tools, including their management reporting, their benchmarking, comparing themselves to other companies of similar sizes. So it's really a full-blown management program, and hence the, the, the new moniker TMC, or Travel Management Company. So when companies are really trying to look to be cost-effective or, or manage their resources appropriately, it's not just booking trips, you're really trying to help them run that aspect of their business. Absolutely. You're there to negotiate with uh, industry suppliers, the airlines, the hotel chains, the car rental companies. You're there to act as an in-between, the corporation and the suppliers, in order to secure the best possible uh, fares when it comes to airlines and hotel rates and car rental rates uh, for your corporate cl clients. Now, all sizes of corporations, doesn't matter if they're large or they're small. Absolutely. We really service clients from five to 25,000 employees. That's, uh, that's pretty big. Now, of course, you also do personal. I mean, there's corporate side, but I presume you also deal in, in personal vacations and, and travel. Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, uh, Vision Travel is uh, one of the world's largest members of Virtuoso. Virtuoso is a, a buying group of luxury products like Four Seasons Hotels, for example, or Silver Seas Cruises. And we offer that service to the employees and the owners of our corporate clientele. Excellent. Now, how did, how did you get into this? When, does, when did Vision start? Interestingly enough, it was my uh, love of airplanes that started me in the travel business back in 1964. I went on my first flight and I just fell in love with jet airliners and I established a, a collection of model aircraft from all over the world and it, that's really the passion that led me to open my travel agency uh, with a dear friend of mine Cliff Besner back in 1977. We opened an agency called Partners in Travel and we built it to a very nice size of about 32 employees and until we decided to merge it with others in the uh, late 90s, 1999 to be exact. Now, when you first started, were there already, was there competition out there? Was there really something missing in the marketplace? What got you to, I mean, other than your, your love and passion for airplanes, and I won't ask why you didn't become a pilot, but, but why, why go into this business? 
Interestingly enough, I did consider becoming an airline pilot, but at that time, uh, there was a requirement for a certain eyesight. And as you can see by my glasses, my eyesight didn't cut it. Uh, so I decided to go to, into the next best thing. And I also love to travel. So I combined my love of airplanes with my love of travel. And you asked the question, what was missing in the marketplace? And in the late 70s, business travel was just a, a really a new industry. And we decided that was going to be our area of specialty. We were going to concentrate on business travel. And it turned out to be a good idea. I was about to ask, how did you identify that, that particular niche within the business travel market? Well, what, uh, what clues did you have to, to, to suggest that there was a demand for, uh, for this type of corporate service? Honestly, it was, I guess, coming from an entrepreneurial family. I had a, many people surrounding me who were starting to travel for business, going to the Far East uh, for, for merchandise. Uh, people in the needle trade were starting to go to the Far East, trips to New York and, and Chicago and Los Angeles. It was becoming the norm, but just beginning. And we said, you know, Cliff and I one day looked at each other when we decided to go into the business we said let's concentrate on this area because this is going to be big now you started in the 70s we're now 2014 the amount of changes in this industry must be astronomical i mean between technology and uh, availability of services uh, modes of travel uh, what's been some of the biggest changes and maybe some of the biggest hurdles that you had to go through interestingly enough one of the biggest changes for us was when the airlines decided to cap commissions in the late 90s. And that's really when we realized that the only way we were going to be able to continue to be successful and grow our business was to become much larger than we were. And that's when we decided to merge our agency with two others here in Quebec and partner with two agencies in Ontario who had the same vision, if you will. And that's why we gave up our name of Partners in Travel, as did the others, and we formed the Vision 2000 Travel Group, uh, which came into being on April 1st, 2000. And technology, I presume, plays a big role as well. I mean, everybody's online. We were talking about that earlier, but certainly in-house when you're trying to make sure you get the best price for your customer and looking in so many different places, technology must have changed drastically. Technology has been huge. And that was another inspiration, shall we say, or motivation for doing the merger because the cost to develop the technologies that were necessary to compete with what was becoming the, the Internet, the Expedia's Travelocity of this, of this world, were, were huge. So by putting these agencies together, we had the resources to invest in the technology that allows us to be extremely competitive and actually provide the best of both worlds, the, the Internet and the online world, along with the bricks-and-mortar full-service model. Now, you mentioned the, the rev you kind of alluded to revenue streams, you know, the certain commissions were getting capped. Where, what is the typical different or various revenue streams for a travel management company like yours? Actually, the revenues are coming from all different areas. We have obviously our transaction fee model, which is the full service model for, for corporations to manage their entire travel. The major suppliers in the industry do still provide revenues for market share. So although there's, there's, the commission model is not what it was back in the 80s and 90s, there's still opportunities to earn revenue from airlines if you give them the support that they're looking for. Like volume incentives. Exactly. Any, any other? I mean, is that really where the primary sources are? Those are the two primary sources. Of course, there's still commissions from hotels and cars. It's not a major revenue source, but it certainly helps the bottom line. 
Now, you mentioned earlier the, the competition, the online competition that is no doubt out there and prevalent. How do you find that you're able to compete with that, whether it's on price, whether it's on information availability? Where, where do you stand and where do you push your, your services on that? Well, Josh, I got to tell you, that is the, the biggest misconception in the travel industry today is that the full service travel agencies like Vision, you know, are a dying breed. Everybody should book on the Internet because it's cheaper. And in, the re in reality, it's just not. And Topaz International, which is one of the largest research companies and management consulting firms in the U.S. that specifically analyzes this area, has done study after study since the, uh, the advent of the Internet and has proven over and over again that a good, or should I say a great, travel management company like Vision will over a course of an annual basis, a company spend will save a company anywhere from 40 to 50% than letting their people just do their own thing online. Where do, where do the biggest savings come from? Because you have a wider, I guess, a spread or a wider view of what's out there? Exactly. Because our technology, for example, we have technology in place. We call it Visionware, where you, we can scrape websites about 40 to 50 at a time. So in the time that our agents are actually researching a fare for you, this is working in the background. And it is investigating fares that are coming from Expedia, from Travelocity, from Orbitz, Fairbus, all of these aggregators that are out there. And we're offering the best of all those worlds. Joel Ostrov, our guest from Vision Travel Solutions on today's Entrepreneur 715. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 719 on CJAD. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Joel Ostrov of Vision Travel Solutions. And uh, we're talking about travel and uh, deals, particularly when it comes to, uh, you know, do you go with a, a travel agent for these type of corporate solutions or do you go online? And uh, Joel, you were saying, I think, to the surprise of, of many listeners, that it's not necessarily beneficial to, to always go online. So tell us about maybe uh, the, the, the contacts and that you developed over the years that that allow you to sort of compete uh, with these uh, online properties that really don't have any brick and mortar expenses. Absolutely. Well, the contacts are developed over years, obviously, and, and being the size that we are today allows, gives us access and allows us the ability to work with some senior executives at, at the major airlines. You know, I pride myself on our relationship for, with Air Canada, our national carrier, um, where we've been supporters really from day one. Because in the days when we first began, you had to be sponsored by an airline. And Air Canada sponsored our membership in IATA, the International Air Transport Association. And uh, obviously, I never forgot that support. And today, we have uh, really, really super contacts with Air Canada. And we're able to really benefit our clients with those uh, connections. When 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 the online agent when the online I guess uh, aggregators the Expedia the Orbits and all this of the world uh, came came to be and I know we're talking quite a while ago, did you find that as a threat or did you really use it to your advantage? Well, I must admit, early on we did consider it a threat, and then we realized we could embrace this technology and use it to our clients' advantage. And I I think in the area of individual travel. If you know exactly where you're going and you, you want to just do something really, really quick, 
yes, Expedia can be a great solution. But where a company like Vision Travel Solutions comes into play is we have the online world. We have that solution for our clients. We do provide the finest in online booking tools for our clients. But yet they have the advantage that if something goes awry, and we all know about this winter and the amount of snowstorms, we had more canceled flight this winter in the history of air travel. And the amount of times that our clients were able to reach our consultants, both through the our on, online mobile app, which allows instant access to their consultants to be rebooked, to be protected. Whereas when you book with the online agencies, what we call the OTAs, you have absolutely nowhere to go. You're on your own. Now, is this something that went, when they came out that you, you had a bunch of employees that were worried they were going to lose their job? I mean, how do, how do you reassure people that your vision, and it's, it's, a great, it's a great term to use even though it's your company, that your vision will truly prevail? Well, actually, everybody who's ever worked for me knows I'm the eternal optimist. <laughs> and there was never a doubt in my mind that we would find a way to use the Internet and this new technology to our advantage. It was just a, ma a matter of changing our mindset changing with the times, embracing the technology and making it work for our clients. You know, I, I just want to add one, one interesting anecdote. Uh, there's a very major online news provider for the travel agency community and for the traveling public called T-News. And they wrote an article last fall called The Dark Days of the Online Agencies because they peaked about two or three years ago in their volume and we've seen a steady decline in their numbers and again an increase back in the bricks and mortar full service environment. You know, Dan, we've had so many entrepreneurs on the show that, that don't always see threats in the right way, but clearly, you know, when there's something out there, an entrepreneur, a successful one, is going to take that threat and turn it into his own opportunity. Turn it so that he markets himself and has the right processes in place to make sure his business is going to fly. And when we come back, talk a little more about marketing and how he made sure the public knew exactly what Vision Travel was about to offer. Joel Ostrov, our guest from Vision Travel Solutions on today's Entrepreneur 723. 725, welcome back to today's entrepreneur. Joel Ostrov is our guest from Vision Travel Solutions. And uh, Josh, we're talking a bit about uh, marketing right now. And, you know, we were, we were really addressing the online and, and reinventing. And it's not just about people going online and getting it. And it's not about seeing online business as a threat to, to the travel agency. It's really making the most of it. But there had to be, I presume, some type of marketing thought process uh, over the years for, for Vision Travel uh, that's that's maybe worked for you, or maybe there really wasn't very much. The truth is there wasn't very much, Josh. Uh, most of our clients have come from either word of mouth, referrals, or successfully answering RFPs, requests for proposals, which has become the norm in corporate travel today, where a company will go to market, send out their RFP to five or six of the major players in the country or in their region, and then you usually are shortlisted and if you're fortunate enough to win the business you win the business and then it's in those environments where you talk about your online solutions your duty of care products your your things that make you different from everybody else so really it's it's being in front of your ultimate customer that you're really I guess pushing your wares or marketing yourself uh, does it become then word of mouth that that your growth comes from? It's a combination of word of mouth. And in the Quebec market, we have three business development people who are constantly on the road talking about vision travel. In the rest of the country, there are another seven. So we have four in the Toronto market, and then the others are in Western Canada. And where do they speak? Like where do they where do they address the groups? 
Basically, it's uh, through the organizations. We're members of the, the three major organizations, the ACT, which is the Alliance of Corporate Travel Executives, the CCTA, which is the Canadian Corporate Travel Association, and then there's the GBTA, the Global Business Travel Association. Vision Travel will always be present at every one of those events. We have major presence. We have a beautiful booth that we take from event to event, and we talk about our company at those events. Now, Vision Travel wasn't always Vision Travel. A lot of people around town know it as Vision 2000. Uh, it's only recently become Vision Travel Solutions, as I understand it. How did you deal with that rebranding? Well, it was a major project that began about a year and a half ago when we realized that the 2000 moniker was no longer had any cachet, if you will. And also, the, the reason we had added 2000 in the first place is because we were having some trademark difficulties back in 2000 when we wanted to form the company Vision Travel. The reason Vision was chosen is because it's a bilingual word. Mm -hmm. We're Vision Voyage here in Quebec and Vision Travel in the rest of the country. And we were required by the trademark authorities to add something to the name. So at the time, you know, the the new millennium was upon y us. So Y2K. We, yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> we chose 2000. Um, since then, we uh, the company that sort of fought us on the trademark issue, went by the wayside, as did many of our smaller competitors, and we were able to get a trademark on Vision Travel in the fall of just last year. Actually. Was it a major undertaking? I mean, did you outsource the, the, the rebranding or to, to maybe a marketing agency? What was the process uh, like? Absolutely. We hired a um, marketing agency with offices in both uh, Montreal and Toronto. In uh, Toronto, they're called Punch, and here in, in Montreal, they're called Bicom, and they work sort of together on this project. We didn't just change the name, Josh, and then we also changed the whole look of Vision. If you look at our logo today, it's, it's much more youthful. It really speaks to the world today of travel. Now, was it a long process? Just a little bit over a year took us to get it all done a, a lot of the time was waiting really for the trademark and while the trademark was being processed our the advertising agency was presenting us with different looks and then we finally selected that the look you see today did you involve any of your team in this decision or was it really something from the top that you said you know what we're going to take the lead we know it's the right thing to do and go from there well we have two vice presidents in marketing one based here in montreal lara lazar and the other one based in uh, toronto stephen smith together they really spearheaded the project and then the three senior executives myself with brian robertson and aaron roos made the final choice Lots to talk about rebranding, but when we come back from the break, maybe a little bit more on that. And, of course, what you mentioned before about taking a whole bunch of partners and bringing it down to just a few. Joel Ostrov, our guest from Vision Travel Solutions on Today's Entrepreneur at 7.30. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.36 on today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening, Josh, is Joel Ostrov from Vision Travel Solutions, and uh, they cater to, uh, to I guess, a, a more particular corporate subset of the travel market. Um, and Joel, what we were talking about marketing, and how do you, how do you sort of project yourself uh, to your customers? Is there an underlying philosophy behind uh, Vision? Uh, are there any sort of uh, brand pillars or, or sort of guidelines? Lines that you like to follow? The guidelines and the pillars are go like this travel your way. When you work with vision, it's not a cookie cutter. It's not all vanilla. It's whatever flavor you like. And what we subscribe to, most importantly, 
for me is a win-win-win. And Josh, you and I talked about that, mm -hmm. a win-win-win philosophy. And what I refer to there is the preferred partnerships that we have with industry suppliers and our customers. So it's a three-way and everybody has to win. You know, I, I feel too many entrepreneurs always want to have the winning edge and it's just not the way we do business at Vision Travel. Really, what, what goes around comes around. Really, that's what you're subscribing to. Absolutely. Now, it takes, a, it takes probably a, a really, an excellent team, an excellent, well-trained team with the right culture uh, to make all this work. You, you mentioned at the outset you started off small. You were, you were just, uh, you know, about 30 employees. How many employees are you? How many people are on your team at Vision Travel today? Well, here in Montreal, we're close to 200. And in the rest of the country, there's another 400. So we're just under 600 people today. Now, that, that's quite something to manage from a growth aspect, uh, certainly going from 30 or 32 that you mentioned earlier to jump to the, the many hundreds. How, how did you manage it? How, how, at what point do you go from informal to formal? At what point do you, you feel like you maybe even lose some of the reins? To be honest with you, we've kept the same philosophy with regards to our people that we've had since day one. And it's, it's, a, it's a philosophy that I read about really in a, in a book by Tom Peters called A Passion for Excellence. And if you really instill in people and empower them to do the best that they can do, you're going you're gonna to be successful. And uh, we have not had to change the philosophy. Yes, there's more obviously guidelines. We, we work with a policy and procedures manual that in the early days we didn't need. But with this many people today, obviously we do. Mm -hmm. we do. But really the, the overlying atmosphere that's created within Vision Travel is one that the senior management team is approachable, we're there, and we're there to encourage people to be as good as they can be. Is it difficult to maintain a culture throughout the entire organization? And certainly there, there, there must be some differences between the Quebec side, the Ontario side, maybe even the West Coast. How do you maintain a, a similar feel and culture throughout? There are some differences, to be quite honest, especially the fact that in the Quebec region, we're all located in under one roof. So we're 180 of us, we see each other every day, and we work together very closely. The rest of the country is scattered. We're scattered in another 15 offices. So the largest one being in Toronto, where there's just under 100 people. The rest of them are offices with in 10, 12, 14 people. So it is a little bit different. However, we meet once a year. We have a Power of Vision conference where the entire teams from the entire region of Canada get together and we share our stories and we make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to the whole human relations. Speaking of vision and, and making sure everybody's on the same page, uh, you mentioned earlier that you were numerous partners. Uh, at one point you you started off with with a buddy or two of yours and then at some point you kind of added on you were searching for volume and added on a few other players how many partners were you at your peak well the quebec market we were 10 at one point so when it came to 2004 when destinations etc had joined us and they were the fifth after future travel and option voyage and central travel had joined us here it became a little problematic i must admit in the boardroom i mean too many chefs just at that point? too many chefs exactly so we we were faced with a situation where the business was 
extremely successful. We were, had accomplished what we wanted to in terms of the the volume, and we had the the volume necessary to compete against the three major global players. But decision making became problematic. Was it also when, when now before we come back to the, the partners and and kind of shedding some of them or, or becoming a lot more uh, a lot more I guess useful or, or certainly everybody on one page. Was it difficult bringing in these different companies into the one culture? I mean, they, each one of them on their own probably had their own, their, their own ways, so to speak. Absolutely. The, the problem really was as we were assigned different responsibility within the organization, the people that were formally reporting to one of the owners, say, of one of the joining agencies would tend to go to that particular person for a decision where that might not be their new responsibility. So when the opportunity presented itself in late 2005, because we were approached by one of the three major players uh, to sell the business, mm. uh, the opportunity came that uh, I was able to convinced the partners that I was the one to sell to and went into the private equity world and was able to do a private equity buyout with BMO Capital uh, in the fall, late summer, actually, of 2006. So really, at one shot, you kind of took out several of your partners. Basically, eight out of ten. That's quite something. Now, was it difficult? Was it a difficult sell to, I guess, the, the BMO equity capital market? Actually, in 2006, this was two years before the Lehman Brothers collapsed, and the private equity world had a lot of money to be throwing around, and they liked the vision story. They liked the fact that we were a Canadian solution for corporate Canada. So actually, I had three private equity firms bidding on the deal and selected BMO Capital because we needed a combination of mezzanine financing, which I knew nothing about before I began this, this project, and senior debt. So I worked the entire project with BMO, they turned out to be an amazing partner, and they stayed our partner until last year when we bought out their shares. And were you nervous to, to go to the banks uh, for help? Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a major undertaking, but I, I'm proud to say that we went through it successfully, and we're, we're here today. Was it difficult to find the right value, the right share price to buy out those eight partners? Well, that was what was easy, because the, the price was set by this other company that wanted to acquire us so they had come to us with an offer and really I just had to match the offer and then find the funds to pay them but that was just one of your partners there were several others that may or may not have decided or that was really set by him and they everybody had to abide they liked the price <laughs> <laughs> so it just went down that easily right? absolutely okay, that decision was not that difficult <laughs> the difficult part was raising the money Raising money. Was it a long process from the time that you were kind of saw these three potential equity partners uh, to the time you actually closed the deal? Absolutely. It took from November 2005 and we closed on August 8th, 2006. If you had to do it all over, I mean, was there one one bit that you really learned from that you, you know, if you were going to buy out a partner again, would, was it, would there be anything different from negotiating to professionals to whatever it might be? Truthfully, no. Uh, it really went well. Uh, we were very fortunate. The timing was excellent. I don't think I could have done that deal two years later. Obviously, we all know what happened. The private equity markets just dried up. So the timing was right. And having not have to negotiate on price made it 
much easier than it would have been had that been a factor in the decision. Uh, it sounds like a, you sounds like you were very fortunate, and it was an amazing part of the story. And I also know that you know you have Ontario partners. Uh, you're the Quebec partner. I know there there are some issues uh, kind of cross border, if you will, that are also very interesting to touch upon. And when we come back from the break, we're going to bring in Nick Moretis, our one of our tax partners, and we're going to talk a little bit about you know, Quebec, running a business in Quebec or choosing a location, as well as, of course, a, a few of the ins and outs of when you're claiming travel expenses in your company, things you should kind of consider. Joel Ostrov of Vision Travel Solutions, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur at 745. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Coming up to 7.50, today's entrepreneur on CJAD 800, our guest is Joel Ostrov of Vision Travel Solutions, and we welcome back Nick Moretis, tax partner at Florlando. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Hi. So uh, it is tax time, and we're going to combine that with um, some of the issues that we brought up with Joel and, uh, and uh, the travel solutions company, particularly when it comes to doing business uh, across the border. Yeah, and but before we get to the kind of Quebec and Ontario comparison of doing business, kind of just as as we're talking about travel expenses, corporate travel expenses, and we all know, you know, governments are broke, so they're they're sending in auditors, they're trying to get as much as they can. Nick, maybe you can kind of uh, explain or give to the listener a bit of a a challenge or things they should know about when they're claiming these corporate travel expenses. Uh, this is particularly true for um, international travel. And what we've been finding in, in various audits uh, over the years is that you could have a copy of the uh, hotel invoice, the uh, airline ticket, uh, the car rental if you have. You can have kept every single meal uh, that you, you ate, including the tips, the cab rides, etc. That's all fine and dandy, and that passes the first test. The second test, which comes up, especially for international travel, is what did you do there? Who did you see? What did you, uh, what did you, why did you go there? The, the one of the presumptions, unfortunately, is that if you've uh, uh, spent a week in Paris in a nice in month of July, you didn't go there for business. You went there for personal. So what we recommend to people is keep copies of the documentation you received. If it was a convention or an exposition, keep the documentation. If you actually went to see uh, clients or suppliers, keep the emails that, that must have gone back and forth between you and, and the and the target you were going to go see prior. You need that proof to say, this is why I went to Paris for X amount of days, and here's all the expenses to back it up. And if you do lots by phone, well then, create the emails so you have it in well, black and white and because you might need the That's proof. right, and nowadays actually it's probably the, the, the other way around is that the emails are far more than, than, than the phones. The other thing that we tend to see, uh, which, is, which is a subject that keeps coming up, and, and you guys keep asking me in the office, uh, many times the spouses are invited on these trips. Um, the, the first response from the revenue authorities is if the spouse is going on, uh, it is an automatic, and the company is paying for it, it is automatically a taxable benefit to the employee, um, unless there's a very good reason that for business purpose the spouse is there. And I can see it for high-level discussions, major, major corporations with major clients and suppliers where there is uh, a, a chance to network with the, with the president of a potential client and his or her uh, spouse, that I could see there being a need for the spouse to be there uh, or to help the, if it's a professional and she's there or he's there to help his or her spouse organize the, the, the time that he's there, I can see that. But generally speaking, the first response is it's a taxable benefit. 
and really the otters are out there to try and get their money. So they want if it's a taxable benefit and they can get some money out of it, corporate and or personal. That's what they're absolutely. Do. And if you don't have the backup, and then and, and you may have that story right, but if you, the backup isn't there, they will deny it. And that's unfortunately that's what we've been seeing. So that's a little uh, thing for corporate travel, which becomes keep the documentation to prove why you went to places. I think that's hugely important. Too many people basically just get nailed for not having the right documentation. And when we come back after after the next quick break, we'll talk a little bit about Quebec, Ontario. You know, Dan, I'm sure with all the all the, the time you spent with elections, people saying, do I leave Quebec? Do I stay in Quebec? Well, let's talk about businesses that kind of exist in both and what entrepreneurs should be aware of. Joel Ostrov from Vision Travel Solutions and Nick Moretta's tax partner at Fuller Landau with us on today's Entrepreneur 753. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 755, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening, Joel Ostrow from Vision Travel Solutions and Nick Moretis, tax partner at Fuller Landau. Josh, we're talking about uh, business uh, across the border, across the provincial border, certainly around tax time. It can get a bit complicated. And certainly when you're operating a business and, you know, the tax rates come into play and certainly political stability can come into play. Uh, so I guess I turn to Nick and say if if they have an entrepreneur that really wants to conduct business, uh, you know, Quebec, Ontario, they live here or they live there and they want to do across the border. And I know there's many of other provincial borders, but we'll talk about these for now. What are some of the the the, the pitfalls of the minefield that they have to go through and make sure they're reporting properly? Well, <clears throat> Joel mentioned that, um, Joel, if I recall, you have 200 employees here in Quebec and about 400 around uh, the country, um, and they have various offices. So that's the first thing that all provinces look at is how can they, what, what business do they tax in their, in their jurisdiction? And the first thing they tend to look at is where is a business operating from? Where is its fixed place of business? Where is its uh, office, if it's its plant? Where is its uh, warehouse? And the minute a, uh, a business, whether it's an incorporation or a non-incorporation, has this office in a given province, well, that province will have the right to tax the profits being generated by that office. doesn't matter if it's rented or owned. or doesn't matter if it's rented or owned. It, what it matters is that, um, that there is a conduct of business out of that office. And we can, we can have a whole show as to determine where is that gray line sometimes as to what is or isn't. If you have an employee, say, who is a salesperson working out of his home in the Yukon, for, for example, is that can constitute an office so that you're taxable in the Yukon? Probably not, but it could be depending upon what he does. Uh, if you have um, a, a, a land, if you bought, purchase land, say, in the Yukon because you were going to do something one day, well, that automatically makes you have an office in the Yukon in which you have to then turn around and identify um, the profits. So here we have all these provinces and territories looking at, oh, look at this business. I'm thinking of vision with your 15 offices. Right. How are we going to tax this beast that's called vision? Um, obviously, we make it simpler for them when we create multiple corporations. So we can have a company here in Quebec and just operate in Quebec. We can have a company in Ontario that just operates in Ontario. And everything that's identified to those provinces will file our tax returns and everybody's happy. But what if... Uh, you have offices in other provinces that you do not have an incorporated entity in those other provinces. Well, that's where there is uh, rules that kick in, and there are federal rules that basically start looking at, well, how are you, uh, where's your salaries, and where's your sales? And, and provinces have agreed to, to do a, a percentage or some averaging of sales and salary to allocate their profits. And this is where tax planning comes in, because if you, if you allow the percentages to apply, or should you go out and incorporate? 
that's uh, you know, Nick. I, as you said, it can be a whole show just on that alone. Um, you, should, ve- you should invite me back. We, we should will. invite you back <laughs> when when we have nice guests just like Joel. Anyhow, as we as we come up to the end of the show, we'll as we do with every entrepreneur that has been through such great experiences, we turn to our guest and Joel. Maybe you can let us know what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. The one piece of advice I would have comes from something I read years ago in an article published by the Harvard School of Business. Uh, they had a guest speaker, Tramel Crow, a Texas billionaire, who uh, made a speech to the graduating class, and he was asked, "You know, what is the ultimate reason you were so successful?" And, and he answered, "Love." He says, "You have to have a vision." You have to care, care passionately about what you do and the people you do it with. You just got to love what you do. And Dan, I think that says it all. Perfect. That, Joel Ostrov of Vision Travel Solutions. Thanks so much for stopping by, Joel. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Josh will be here back uh, next Monday night at 7 p.m. and we'll be talking lingerie. Blush lingerie will be our guest on the show. Sounds good. The Exchange with Mike Ward is next. It's 8 o'clock.